He was a police officer who was forced to retire due to line of duty injuries. He was shot multiple times, left blind, and has life-changing permanent injuries. And he's coming up to tell you a story. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. I want to tell you about a product, actually a line of products, that have changed my life dramatically. Health products. I know many of you like me are skeptical about claims made for these nutritional supplements. However, these products have made a world of difference for me. Helps me quite a bit. You can get more details about Juice Plus products at letpops.com. That's letpops.com. And for those of you looking for a great business opportunity, check out letpops.com. Calling us from Massachusetts area, Robert Bob DiNapoli, retired police officer. Bob, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Jake. You retired, line of duty injury. We're going to talk about the, the details, the incident, the violent attack, the gunshot wounds, all that in a little bit. Please, people want to tell you, you don't want to miss that conversation. But Robert, since retiring, is involved in a group called VIPO 911, or Violently Injured Police Officers and Organization. Tell us about that, where people get details, what it is you all do. So if a uh, police officer gets injured on the duty, violently injured, you know, we reach out to them, we do our best to reach out to them. A lot of times, police officers don't even want to talk to anybody after an incident like this. Right. So we give them a little time, you know, we, we know once he gets home or once he's like rehabbing and stuff, that he needs, he needs to talk to somebody. So we, with our experience of what we've gone through and other police officers that we've spoken to, we kind of go in there and we just tell them, you know, we give them our cards and we say, look, this is what we're here for. We're here to, to just, because we know what's going to happen later. Not everybody reacts the same, and we know that, but what we do know is people disappear. Things happen. You're going to retire. We know what you have to have to go through for the retirement process. We also know the abandonment that you're going to feel. We also know that, you know, people go back to work, and they don't come to your house every single day, like the revolving door when you first get home or when you're first injured, or, or the media and all that big hoopla that you have at the beginning of what's going on to the months and months later when you're going through the rehab and you're still home while everyone else is back to work. And it, so what we are there for is to try to help you through whatever you need to get through. And uh, when that process is, is happening, which we have done, we have helped a lot of guys, even wives have called us and said, I, I, you know, I'm concerned for my husband or I'm concerned for my wife. She seems to be struggling. Can you give him a call? Don't tell them I called, but please give him a call and check on him. And we'll check on him and he'll... You know, we'll talk, we'll go to coffee with them, we'll bring them to our house and have dinner, whatever it is, whatever these guys need to be reassured that it's a normal process, that it's a process that's gonna, that you have to go through. Um, we went through it, um, Mario and I went through it for a year, you know, a year, a year and a half of healing and trying to get ourselves back on our feet, concerned about finances. That's another thing we try to help mm-hmm. guys with is, is to tell them. You know, all right, you're going to go and work with copper. You're going to go on some type of uh, of a, a situation where you're going to get some money. Relax. You know what I mean? It's a process. Everything's a process. This is a marathon, not a sprint. 
none of us were planning on going out. I was 50. I wasn't planning on retiring at 50. Right. You know what I mean? I, I was 33. My, uh, it was all, my career was over with. It was like, bye-bye, you can't be a police anymore. Right, exactly. You know, I mean, that, those tuitions my kids had, my mortgage, my car, whatever I had, you know, that was all, you know, 15 years down the road in my mind. You yeah. know what I mean? That that was all going to be paid for. My mortgage was set up, so at 65, I'm done. Well, guess what? You know, <laughs> I'm 60 and I'm done. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it, it was such a, a tough process. So this is what we try to, you know, we give them the realization. It's realistic. This is what happens. You're going to stress. The walls are going to close in. You know, then you're going to retire, and there's your whole loss of identity. Here, there's, there's everything that you've you've gone through the police academies, you've worked with people, whatever it is, whatever your process was for policing, is gone. You know, and I mean, to, 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 let's face it. You know, as a police officer, you are different. You know, you have a, an identity, you have a career, you have something a little different than everybody else out there. You know that. That works, you know, as um, you know, just different workers. You know, we it's, we hear so, all the time people say it's the thin blue line or it's a blue family, and it really is. But yeah. what happens, like in my case, when the doctors say you can't go back to work, life goes on. They go, they've got their families, they got their jobs, they got everything else yeah, to do, exactly. and all of a sudden, I'm feeling like no one knows who I am anymore. Right, exactly. I was you part know? of this unit. And a big part of my coping skills of going through all that we went through was being with those the, the guys. I say guys, the men and women I worked with every day, it was a big part of how I made it through. And then when that was no longer available, now it's just you, yourself, and I, and your thinking. Yeah. Right, right. And that's dangerous sometimes, you know what I mean? Because, like you said, you with these people, you don't just... See, when you're a police officer, you don't just work with these people. You party with them. Yep. You go to everything with them. You know, because you guys are, like you said, that thin blue line kind of, like, flows into your personal life big time. And you don't think it at first. You just think of your friends. But no, it's a little more than that. It, it really is. There's, a, there's a, a hood there, brotherhood or sisterhood there that it belongs. And when you lose that, like you said, now you're home. You, you, you know, your wife's trying to help you heal. She. You know, and luckily with me, and she didn't, and she didn't sign up for that. Yeah, and, and they didn't. They're not doctors. They're not therapists. They, exactly. they, they don't know. All, all of a sudden, you went to work fine one day, and then, then you're not. And then it's then really I'm bad not. stuff happened. And now I got to deal with the aftermath, and I got to be the caretaker. Right. And it's not. Right. A, it's not an easy role for anybody. No, the poor she had to work, and so how she's doing that? I'm on crutches. I'm on. I mean, I can barely walk. You know, because of my injuries. The nurses would come, you know, because I had nurses come to my house instead of me going to rehab because I was like, I get it. It was the thing, Jay. When I was in the hospital, they said to me, if you can get on your crutches, you can go home. And all I kept thinking in my head is I want to go home. Because what is the thing when we walk out of roll call, your whole goal is to go home that night. And I didn't. You know what I mean? I didn't go home that night. So my whole goal, and I kept saying it to my wife, like, I just want to go home. And she's like, Bob, you know, you you can't. I'm like, I'm going home. So when the doctors released me, I was supposed to go to rehab, and I said, I'm going home. I'm not going to a rehab. So what did I do to my wife? What did I do to her? She actually had to, my son, luckily they're older, had to empty my dining room, get all the dining room furniture out, and get a hospital bed in there. And they had to set it up like a hospital ward. You know what I mean? Because because of my stubbornness, number one, and because because I was like, I have to go home. That was only my, my only thought. I think so this, uh, stubbornness is a trait that many of us have. Yep, 
Well, yeah. Perseverance, yeah. persistence, whatever it is. Uh, something that was drilled into me from day one in the police academy, and I say this almost every episode of this show, and, and people listening need to understand this, whether in law enforcement or not, that no matter how bad the situation you're in, no matter how violent, no matter how much, if you're in a fight with an MMA fighter and he's actually cleaning your clock, you cannot give up. You got to stay in the fight. You can't Absolutely. help us right around the corner. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, and it, it, when you hear a little later, that's what I did. You know what I mean? I had to, I just had to keep going. Even if I didn't do anything, I, my thought process was to still keep going. No way this is going to happen this way. You know yeah, what I mean? I'm not, I'm not leaving this planet this way. Yeah. I, I do recall the, the night I got hurt, and when it was hurt, it didn't seem like a big deal. It seemed like a sprained wrist, but it wound up being multiple surgeries and, and being retired at the age of 33. By the typical unarmed man who tried to shoot me with my service revolver, it was still my hand, and the fight over the gun wound up destroying my wrist. But I remember vividly thinking to myself, and it wasn't like a deep conscious thought because there's not enough time for that. It was, this man is trying to kill me. And I remember yep. thinking... I'm going to die, but it's not going to be tonight, and it's not going to be because of you. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do to survive this. We're talking with Bob DiNapoli. We'll be right back. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's J-A-Y at letradio.com. This portion of the audio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Back to our conversation, retired police officer Robert Bob DiNapoli, retired from is it Woburn, Massachusetts Police Department? That's correct, Woburn, yep. And how far is that from Boston? So for those who don't know Massachusetts like myself. Right, seven miles north of Boston. So you're really yeah. close. And, and oh, yeah. uh, you were uh, a police officer for how many years before you were hurt in a violent incident? 17 years. Before we get seven. into details of what happened to Robert, um, he is actively involved with the violent, Violently Injured Police Officers Organization. Their website is Vipo. 911.org. That's V-I-P-O 911.org. We'll repeat that a little bit later on and what you do with that organization. Before we go into details of what happened to you that day, a very brief overview of your law enforcement career from start to finish. Okay. So, I mean, I, I did start late. I was 32, 33 when I got on. I was the old man in the academy, which is kind of funny. But when I started as a patrolman, I stayed a patrolman. I liked being a patrolman. I tried being a sergeant a couple of times, you know, taking the test. And I, you know, it just wasn't there for me. So I said, well, I know where I'm at. I'm going to be happy where I'm at. And so I worked midnights for years, you know, because it helped me to work midnights, of course, because my kids were in school. Right. So I could I could see everything in the day, you know, any sports, anything they needed to do. So I, I hung in there for a while. I went to days. You know, working midnights, there's one entity of people, you know what I mean, you work right. with. You know, it's mostly, you know, people that are out of midnight are even poor workers that got to work the shift, or they're, you know, drinkers and parties. Right. We always say there's whatnot. nothing good, my mother says that nothing good happens after midnight, <laughs> and it turns out she was right. <laughs> She's right, you know, so it's exactly right, though. But I did love the shift, I really did, I didn't mind it at all, so... 
when I went to days, it was because my kids had finished school. And, um, you know, it was like, all right, Carol, you know, my wife's name's Carol. And I said, look, well, now we're going to work. And we're going to work toward retirement. You know, we're going to start doing what we planned on doing. Right. And so, so I did. I worked a day shift. I was only on the day shift for three years when this happened. So, uh, you know, and it was kind of funny because it was the, uh, what we call the, the uh, west side of town, which is a very, what, what can I call it, neighborhoods. It's, you know, no industry. There's no, right. very little, there's schools and churches and neighborhoods and, you know, a couple of little strip malls. That's it. Everything else is on the the west, the east side of town, you know what I mean, near the highways. So it was a quieter part of the town, uh, the city. And, um, yeah, you know, like they said, nothing ever happens on the west side. Oh, yeah? Well, it did, you know, that day. So You got a call for, was it a robbery? It was a jewelry store robbery that was in progress when I got the call. And generally, when you, for people who don't know, when you get the call, uh, a robbery in progress, most of the time, by the time the people call the, the dispatcher, the dispatcher gets it to the paper, and by the time you start responding and you get there, they're long gone. It's it's very exactly. rare that they're on the scene, and you, that's the way you get used to that. Your adrenaline goes up, because what if, if I get there, what if happens, and what's my training, what I got to do? Right. But when you rolled up, they weren't gone. Right, exactly. They were actually, when I got the, when I was pulling in, I was getting information that they were running down the back of the stairs. Now, the back, it's a two-story strip mall, and the jewelry store's on the second floor. So they were running through the back of the building to the rear stairs. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to run right into these guys. And that's the getaway cars at the bottom of the stairs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But as I pulled in, you know, that, that wasn't the case. You know what I mean? I was actually between them and the getaway car, which was parked across the street in the neighborhood. So, because... I mean, I can give you the story if you want. I can explain yeah, to you why right they, did they did so. So what had happened was, uh, while I was hidden there, they were inside this jewelry store. Is a jewelry store that you that the doors are, tw- are locked twenty four seven. You have to get buzzed in like you would an apartment building. So what happened was the two there were four people involved: two girls, two guys. Two girls. One girl was driving. The other girl got out of the car, went upstairs with the two guys that were going to rob the store. She knocks on the door. They wave to her. She lets the two guys in, and she goes back to the car, and they go park across the street into a neighborhood. In the meanwhile, that's what, they, what these guys start doing is in the, they have a huge bag, and in, in the bag is duct tape and rope, and this huge, huge, like, I call it an Abercrombie and Finch bag, but it's like one of those big, huge shopping bags with handles. Right. And so they had that. And what they were going to do is they were going to take their time, tie, tie everybody up, and just look at it. So they were going to take their time. These, these were not the guys that were just doing it off the cuff. This is planned. Yeah, well, this was planned. These girls had scouted this place out for like three or four months. They had gone, checked out the place, checked out the place, had gotten familiar with the employees by talking to them, saying, oh, I'm thinking of looking for an engagement ring, whatever their story was. So they had gotten familiarized with the place as they did with the employees. So the employees, as soon as they saw her at the door, let her in, right? Because they were like, fine. And she actually found out that there was actually no camera surveillance at the buildings at all, not even in the jewelry store. So they could take so they, their time. They could take their time, and that's exactly what the plan was. They would give us a cell phone call, come and get us. The girls would drive over, pick the guys up, and they'd be gone. The people would be tied up, and there'd be nobody, you know, it wouldn't be until who knows how long by, by the time. So they somebody them. must have saw something and wound up getting on the phone and, and was able to call and communicate and not be seen. That's correct. So there was an employee in the back room that they didn't account for. The guy was, it was a, you know, those mirrors that you can see through on one right. side and the other side to reflect on. Well, he was looking and he saw what was going on. So he grabs a cell phone and runs out the back door. 
which was a great idea, it was a great thing, but the problem was he slammed the door. And then slamming the door, he alarms the two guys. Yeah. And all the guys panic, and they start smashing and grabbing. So, and, uh, you know, get the employees to start filling bags as fast as they can, because now they're panicking, because they know someone escaped. And this so guy alerted the police. And, the and so the, the police are called, and you're responding, and you get there, and you wind up being in a position where you're, vi- if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, your patrol vehicle in between them and the getaway car. Correct. Because they thought, because in their minds, this is what I, I heard when I went to the parole hearing, in their minds, they thought this happened so fast that the getaway car was still at the bottom of the stairs. So they were running down the back to the bottom of the stairs thinking the getaway car was there. But the girls, like I told you, were across the street because they were waiting for the call. So when they get down to the bottom of the stairs, they're standing there in the middle of a parking lot and have, don't have the girls there, don't have the getaway car. So I pull in. And when I pull in, they're standing behind the car. But they're not crouched down. They're just standing there. And I see two heads. They sit the description from the neck up. So when I called off, I see these guys standing at the, beside a car. Uh, they're, you know, the car. They're on the other side of the car. So when they, they look at each other, and I start getting out of the car and I'm going to draw down on them because I know backup's coming because like, I heard on the radio, you know, the, the next car's coming and they're sending other cars because the guy in the radio on the, on the cell phone is saying, you guys got guns, you know, whatever it is, whatever he was saying. Could you see if they were armed at that point? At that point, no, because all I could see was their heads. Yeah. They were behind the car, you know? Gotcha. So then when I start getting out of the car I, and I start throwing my gun uh, on the passenger, on the driver's side of my car, they split up. One goes to the, my left, one goes to the right, and I'm like, oh, man. That's you bad. Know what I mean, That's of course, bad. I didn't say, oh, man. I didn't. I said a lot better words than, oh, yeah. man. But I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you said different language. That, <laughs> the red flags are, are going off in my head right now, just you describing it, because you're saying, uh-oh. Yeah. I'm I'm okay. I'm out of control and I'm getting flanked basically is what's happening. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. This isn't yeah, this isn't going well. Yeah, and it, and it, you know, I didn't say anything. I didn't even have an opportunity to say, Stay right there. I, I mean, it was like they moved, I took then I, I realized, you know, I'm not in good cover. I mean, I know I'm at my door at crouched down, but I got a guy moving to my left, a guy moving to my right. I gotta get I gotta go to the rear of my cruiser. So I go to the rear of my cruiser, and I, you know, I have my gun out, and I'm down low, and they're both kind of standing there. They're not moving. I don't see a gun to the guy on the left. Oh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't leave something out. When, when they did split, the guy on my right, he exposes himself at the trunk area, so now I can see from his belly up. And in front of him is that Abercrombie and Finch bag, like I said. He pulls the bag away and draws on me. So he, he points the gun at me, so I take cover to the back of the cruiser, So I didn't think I was safe where I was. So when I get to the rear of the cruiser, I'm down and I'm crouched down and I'm watching both of them. And they, you know, they're like, who do I go after first? What do I do? You know, I don't see a gun on the guy on the left, but I do see this kid. And he's moving in front of my cruiser and he's just sidestepping. And I'm like, well, I, I, I see a gun here. I'm going to have to go after this kid, you know. It's amazing before we go to break. What we, when, when we describe these things afterwards, it's not how it happens. It happens so fast in real life. You really can't describe why you're doing what you're doing until afterwards, and you don't even have a chance to really become, at least in my case, frightened while it's happening because you're reacting to everything. We're talking with retired police officer Robert Bob DiNapoli. We're going to take a short break. You don't want to go anywhere. We'll be right back. Get access to free podcast versions of the show and more on Facebook. Do a search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. (laughs) 
Back to our conversation with retired Wilbur, Massachusetts police officer Robert Bob DiNapoli. Before we get into details, Bob, I forgot, and I'm trying to get better at this. Thank you for your service. Um, Thank you. It's very much appreciated. When we left before the break, he responded to a jewelry store holdup. These guys had this planned out. When you got there, uh, your patrol car was between them and the getaway car, and they're flanking you, and you see that one of them draws a gun. Uh, Take us from what happened at that point. Yeah, at that point, he started moving to the, to the front of my cruiser as the other kid was going to my left. So I, I retreat. I, like I said, I, I went to the rear of my cruiser to take better cover, and uh, maybe I could see a little better from where my, you know, because I was like crouched in my doorway. Like I'm not. This wasn't a good spot. So I went to the rear of the cruiser and I was watching him, and he's sidestepping all the way in front of my cruiser, and he starts going like out of cover and it, out wide open into the into the parking lot, you know. And I'm saying to myself, what is it? What's this guy doing? You know, so I, I he's trying to get an angle where he can see you better. Right, exactly. He just can't see me. I got my head down. I'm pretty. I'm in good cover. I really. I mean, you have a whole cruiser in front of me. I think I'm good. You know. So I, what I decided I was going to do was going to. I was going to pop up and and shoot. I was just like, I got this guy. I got to take him, and then I'll get the guy on my left because I don't see a gun with this guy. You know, I think this guy is hesitating or whatever he was doing. I don't know. I didn't. Believe me when I say I wasn't concentrating on the guy on my left. I can think, you know, afterwards what I may have thought. But at, right. at this point, I'm, I got the guy with the gun. I'm going to take him out. Then I'll go after the guy that's on my left. So I pop up and I start to fire. You know, I aim and fire. And at the same time, he's doing the same thing. And we, blah, 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 and we start shooting at each other. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, my, my gun's gone. It gets blasted out of my hand. And I'm like, standing there. What happened to my gun? It, it exploded. I, I didn't know what happened. I didn't even know where it went. It happened so fast, it like it was in my hand, and the next minute it's gone. And I'm standing there on the open, and I look, and I can see the gun on the ground. And I go, oh, man. You know, so I, I go down to pick it up, and, I, and bang, I get hit in the right leg. So I take cover. And I'm like, oh, crap. i got to take cover behind the car. I, tr- I tried to get my gun, but I couldn't. But little did I know, when he, when he hit me, when he shot at me, he hit me in my right leg. So my leg kind of dragged. And in dragging, as I was going to the left to get back to my cruiser, I pushed my gun with me. I mean, it looked like it could have been a great plan. I just don't think I planned it. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, what well, so plan was there? It's like, it's all reacting. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, a little do I know, I've already been shot three times and don't even know it. So, I get on the ground, I, see, I, uh, I take cover, and now I know I'm getting in the way of the kid on my left, but I have no choice. This guy's picking me off. So, I get over, to, and I'm, I'm on the driver's side of the cruiser, and I'm like near the wheel well, and I'm looking around, and I don't see that kid. He's gone. And I'm like, all right, all right. So I look down and I see my gun on the ground, and I'm like, oh my god! So I go grab the gun, and I can't use my hand. And I'm looking at my hand, and I I see it in the my left index finger is blown off at the top. It's like it looks like an exploded cigar. And that's all I can explain it to you. It looks it's just tattered and all skin and muscle just hanging off my finger. And I'm looking at it like, how did he do that? How, how did that happen? You know, it wasn't my concept wasn't he shot the gun out of my hand. My concept was that my gun exploded. You know what I mean? That's what I thought. I thought, you know, misfire, whatever. I don't even know. It sounds like uh, our worst nightmares. I I had those nightmares for years where you needed a gun for a bad shooting situation and it wouldn't operate or or worse, it would fire and like the bullet would dribble out at the end or the worst case scenario was you'd fire and you wound up hitting someone who was an innocent civilian and all those are just nightmare scenarios nightmare. and this is what yep. it sounds that like you're going through but it's real life and you're alive and you're awake 
exactly. And I can't believe it. You know, they told me Sunday, and I'm still in How did he do it? How did how did he do that? I mean, I, I just couldn't. It, it, the concept wasn't there that how this happened. Okay, I mean, I had him. I had him in my sights. I was like, "You're gone." I got you. And all of a sudden, my gun's gone. You know what I mean? It explodes out of my hand, like I said. So I took the cover. I see the gun, try to pick it up. I can't use my hand. My hand is ringing like uh, when you hit a baseball bat wrong. Yep. You know what I mean? And it's just ringing, and I'm like, wow. All of a sudden, I hear rounds. Bang, bang. I can hear shooting, and I'm like, wow. All of a sudden, I feel like I got hit. So I get hit in the leg, and I'm like, oh. So he's hitting me, and he hits me again. And I'm like, this one goes in my thigh and goes out the rear. Bounces off my femur, which I find out later, of course. Bounces off my femur and goes out to the, to the rear of my butt cheek and goes out. And now I'm like, so he pulls this thing in, and I'm like, oh, man, he's picking me off, you know? So I get down a little lower, and I'm trying to switch in, and I'm trying to keep myself. And what am I thinking? Where the hell is my backup? They were two seconds behind me. Where are they? Uh-huh. That's all I kept thinking, because uh, the last thing I remember on the radio was like, Bobby, I'll be there in a second, Bobby. I'm at the Y. You know, the Y's about a quarter mile away from where I'm at. And it, everything seems and, like it's going, like it's taking an eternity. Uh, uh, yeah, time like, you know, literally slow slows down. Oh, say, yeah. That, that slow motion effect did happen with me because as I was taking cover, he was following me and shooting. And you could see the glass in my, in my cruiser exploding. And I could see that happening in slow motion as I was taking cover. And I said to myself, wow, that's weird. You know, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, wow, that looks like slow motion. Like, like I said, where is my backup? And I know Dean's coming. I know the 4-4 car is coming. But I'm like, where is he? I'm getting picked off here. So as I pull my legs in and I get a little lower to the ground, I'm trying to keep my head out. I don't know where the rounds are coming from. I can only assume that they're coming from overhead. I don't know. So, so I pull my head against the car and I get low, and all of a sudden, bang, and you hit me on. I don't know how it happened. I'm assuming a ricochet. I don't know. But it hit me in the corner of my left eye. Uh, right on the corner where, you know, where the outside of my eye. And it, it fractured everything. It, it was like getting hit by a, a baseball bat, I guess, or a golf club. It just hit me in the eye, fractured everything around my eye socket, and it went into my eye and fractured into about 15 pieces, the round. And so and now we, did I you, down, Did you lose consciousness when that happened, or were you still no, alert? No, I was still alert. I went, I, I was, you know, I know my head must have jerked back, you know, from the impact. But then, like, you know, I took his head against the car, and I could see the blood pouring out of my eye. And, you know, my hand's all jammed up. My leg is now all shot up, because now I've got a round in my right leg, and I've got two rounds in my left. And I'm just like, this guy is kicking me off, and he's killing me. Oh, yeah. Before you you go further, I want to recount the injury. You're shot in your right leg, shot twice in the left leg, shot in the right hand. Yep. And And shot shot in the right arm, and shot in which eye was it? The left eye. And you're still alert. I'm still alert. And yep. one of the things you keep saying that I, is so familiar, and it, it sounds so hard to describe to people, at least I find it difficult to describe, is the anger yeah. that comes up. Like, why are you doing this to me? And right. I'm not going to let you kill me. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to survive. You're not going to kill me. Right. Am, am I understating that anger? I don't know if there's rage is a better term. I don't know what it is. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm glad you said that because my next steps are exactly what you're, what you're talking about. So here I am now. Now I know I'm hurt really bad. I don't know where my, my backup is. And the rounds have stopped coming. Now all of a sudden it's quiet. And I'm like, where is he? Where is he? I'm thinking he's going to walk up behind me and put, double tap me in the back of the head. That's all I'm thinking is, like, I'm done. You know, because I'm thinking he's right behind me because he knows he's got me. So I'm looking for my knife. And I say to myself, I'm not going to die in this 
talk a lot this today. I'm not. I'm not going to die. If this guy gets close enough to me, I'll put this in his neck. I'll and do I'm, what I got to do. Yeah. I'm trying to get the knife out of my hand, but of course it's the same hand, my left hand, and that's what I could hit. You know, when he when he took the tip of my finger off, and I can't, I can't maneuver it too well. I can only use like my pinky and my thumb, and I'm trying to like dig my knife out of my pocket. You know, and it's like it's got a clip on, it, and I'm trying, and I'm like, if he gets close enough to me, I can take this guy out. I know I can. I can take him. And your, and your strong like, hand, your really, dominant hand, is is severely injured from the the gunshot. Right. Yeah. So you would have to be, even if you get the knife out, you got to defend yourself with your non-dominant hand. And most of us, unless you're a trained fighter, are if you're right-handed, left hand is kind of useless, and vice versa. Right. Right. Well, I happen to be left-handed, so that was maybe a plus for me if I could get my knife out. We'll be right back. We're talking with retired police officer Robert Bob DiNapoli, retired from the Woburn, Massachusetts Police Department. Before we go to break, he had been shot multiple times, including in the eye, hand, both legs, and arm, and is wondering if the man is going to kill him at this point. We'll be right back. Are you looking for great products that can be game changers for people, for their physical health, for their overall well-being? Go to letpops.com. That's letpops.com. I take these products. They make a world of difference for me. Better energy. I sleep better every night. Full night sleep every night. Zero leg cramps and more. Many people will tell you about the wonderful things that these products do for them. Plus, it can be a phenomenal business opportunity. You can help people improve their lives and for a very small fee, get a complete back end, complete website, zero inventory, no shipping, none of that stuff. Get full details on our website, letpops.com. That is letpops.com. Returning our conversation with retired police officer Robert Bob Zanapoli, retired from the Wilburn, Massachusetts Police Department. And I got to tell you, Bob, my heart rate is elevated. Uh, you got me on the edge of my seat. This is like a Hollywood movie that wouldn't be believable uh, because it would seem like too far fetched. But this kind of stuff happens. And this is what people in America don't seem to get. And maybe the media doesn't tell them. I don't, I don't want to assign fault. But if they really understood how quickly and how dangerous life really is and how that one guy down the street, the one loser down the street can take you out, none of us would sleep at night. Yeah, yeah. And yet, you weren't planning this. You're having a routine day. You get a robbery in progress, which most of the time, we know that the culprits, if it's for real, are not there when you get there. You encounter the two guys. One of them's armed. He engages in a gunfight. You're severely injured. And all of a sudden, you've got dead quiet, and you're, you're wondering where your backup is, and you're wondering if this guy's going to finish you off, and you're trying to get your knife out of your pocket with your injured hand so if he comes near you, you can stab him. Right. And that's what, so, that, that's what you were left with. The, the, the decision-making is, I'm not going to die, so if I need to, I'm going to stab this guy. Right. I'll take him out. Hopefully, he'll get close enough. And I get that, you know, but when I try to tell people who've never been in law enforcement and they look at me, if I say that, they look at me like I have five heads, like there's something wrong with you. (laughs) And it's not, it's like, I want to survive. That's all it is. I I just want to survive. I want to go home with my family. Right. Exactly. exactly. It's not personal. 
I, I don't, you don't even know who the guy is. And, I'll, and it's Hello? like, why are you trying to kill me? I don't understand that. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy, you know, because here I am, you know. And I, like I said, I couldn't get the knife out, and the, 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 the silence was what was really bugging me, you know what I mean, because I didn't know where he was, I didn't know what was going on. So all of a sudden, as I'm, as I'm kind of like waiting, all of a sudden I see hubcaps, because all I can use is my right eye, and I see hubcaps, and it's the, the next cruiser that showed up. You know, it's a the Crown Vic hubcaps, uh-huh. and I just laid. I just laid back and went, "Oh man, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna live," because I can hear my partner Dean getting out of the car, and he's screaming on the radio. So obviously, this kid's gone. You know what I mean? But what I found out later was that this kid, how he was picking me off was he was standing on the top of my cruiser on the light bar, just standing there like a cowboy trying to pick me off as I moved and tried to move my legs. And that was myself. pre-planned. That was not spur of the moment. That was no. all. This was thought out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I mean, he even wrote a letter to his girlfriend in Florida saying how much he wanted to kill me after that. And you know, afterwards when he had, when he was in jail or whatever, wherever he was in the hospital or whatever, he wrote a letter to his girlfriend who called the Wuhan police department and said, "I have a troubling letter here," and it was all about his shooting and what he did to me and what he wanted to do. This was so obviously he, was, he got caught. Well, obviously, you know, he did. Well, what happened was. Little did I know, I had shot him twice. So that was kind of something that made me feel good. But he actually ran off the car, left his bag of jewelry, and ran across the street from where he found out where the girls were parked. So when he gets there, the people in the street turn the next cruiser around and say, he's in the backyard because people were watching this. So people stopped the next cruiser, which was the 4-2 cruiser, and said, he's in the backyard there. So Mark Gibbons turns around, goes back to the house, he jumps out of the woods, and fires at Mark Gibbons and puts five rounds around Mark's foot. Mark pulls out his gun, and while sitting in the cruiser, puts five rounds out the windshield, sitting down in his cruiser, and hits Matos, well, his name is Matos, hits him uh, two more times, okay? So now, now he drops to a knee, Mark gets out of his car, drops his magazine, puts a new magazine in, and the, the kid won't stop. He's trying to unjam his gun because his gun jammed. And, you know, Mark gives him orders, stop and he won't and Mark put two more in him and that's when he dropped the gun and went down on the ground wow yeah so now I'm on the ground and, I, and I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you about this and I feel horrible for what you went through but I'm sitting here thinking I don't even know this this other officer and I feel horrible yeah. that they had to go through that right exactly because no one goes the through that unscathed everybody even if you don't get physically injured you, you wind up dinged permanently dinged yeah yeah well, see, Jay, it's like this. We had lost a police officer nine months prior. Uh, Jack McGuire had been killed at a Coles robbery nine months prior to me getting shot. So now here I am getting shot. The radio transmission's crazy, and everyone thinks now I'm dead. So every police officer that's, that's responding to this call now thinks I'm dead because that's the worst-case scenario. Because every one of the guys that I talked to said, we thought we all thought you were dead. There was no radio transmissions. We knew there was a gunfight, and we just thought you were dead. So we went to him. We went to go get him. You know what I mean? And that's what that's what they did. You and know? this, and I'll be honest with you, I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you, and you tell me it's Wilbur, Massachusetts. I'd never even heard of the town before. <laughs> when we hear Boston, you think, okay, that's that's stuff's supposed to happen there. And I do know uh, what happened to Sean Collier and and the uh, the other guys in the Watertown area that, that right. during the whole Boston Marathon bombing shootout and stuff. And these things happen. But even though I worked in law enforcement. My mind doesn't automatically go there that this that this stuff isn't supposed to happen in in our own communities. 
And like you said, right. in an area, it's a decent area. It's a quiet right. area. And all of a sudden, you don't know if you're going to live to make it home. I know. It's just crazy, you know? I mean, that's the, the, the intent is what? To go home at night. That's what they say. Well, that, exactly. That's exactly you know? what I always said. And uh, someone asked me the other day, and if I ask you the same question, I can guarantee you we're going to the same answer or very similar. They said, do I, have, do I have any regrets about having to use force in my career? And I said, absolutely not. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, there's no, I, I, how about this? Let me rephrase it. I have no apologies to make. I didn't always want to use force. I didn't want to have to use deadly force. I didn't want it to be involved in shooting or, or sticking anybody or anything else. But they brought that on with their decisions. I did right. not. The regrets were I couldn't see the future. And the, the one guy that probably could have shot wound up shooting and killing a police officer about a year later. Uh, and I, I do know, have regrets. Right? But right. I don't have apologies to make because it wasn't right. solely my decision. Right. And that's the part people don't seem to get. We're, right. We, we react. We have to react to the threat. That's it, plain and simple. You know what I mean? That's what our job is. And unfortunately, I, I have no apologies myself. You know, I mean, I have, I have, I mean, I hate to say it the way I'm going to say it, but I wish I took the guy out. No, I get you know it. I, mean? I, I get it 100%. He actually shot at another police officer after me. Yeah. So, you know, what if he killed Mark and I did take this guy out? You know, so. And, I mean, and chances are he probably got you know? life, right? Right. So that means. Oh, and well, it, no, you know what? He didn't. No. He only got 30, he got 30 years. And so he, he's eligible for parole when? Well, he gets a month. He gets a week off a month if, as long as he complies to the rules of the. You know what I mean? As long as he's in good behavior. So let's figure it out. So he'll get out in like twenty years, twenty-two years, something like yeah. that. No, I get you the know? part. It, 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 people always say this: "Hey, you know, life without possibility of parole." Or that's not the case with the guy who shot you. But it's like that's okay. And I'm thinking, well, what about the people that have to work around him? What about yeah. the corrections officers have to work with them every day? When you have a lifer who's got nothing to lose and they're already violent and they're a killer already, you know, what about the social workers that come in there? What about the kid who got locked up on some misdemeanor for the fifth time and has got to be his cellmate? Yeah. Right. These guys don't stop being violent because they're in prison. Right. And this guy's writing yeah. letters about how he wanted to kill you. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's what he was trying to do. You know, I mean, he wasn't trying to get away, was he? He didn't run. No. Once, once he shot me and he knew I was taking cover, he could have ran. What did he do? He climbed on top of my cruiser and tried to keep killing me. It's amazing you live through this, and I know you have devastating injuries. I know that uh, life-changing injuries, and I already know this. We're out of time, so we're going to have to have you back again if you should talk more about this. But I, I do want to close out with uh, Vipo 911, what you do, and very quickly, how people can get more information. Okay, so you can go on the website, vipo911.org. Uh, we also are on Facebook. It's a, yeah, Sabota's a violently injured police officer. You can go on Facebook, and, and we have a, a Facebook page, which we do more active than the website, but we're trying to be a little more active on the, uh, on the website also. But it's, uh, the Facebook page is actually pretty good because we can all interact, which is pretty good. Right. Um, and, you know, what, what, like I said, what we try to do is help police officers. I mean, we're, we're doing everything we can. Like right now, we have two bills up at the state house. One is to help the guys that retire, that get violently injured, that they can get the 100% disability without having to go through what we call special legislation. In Massachusetts, we have special legislation. You can actually look that up. You can Google special legislation. You can see what it is. But what it is, instead of going on your 72%, you can get the 100%. Plus, you can have other other uh, situations. We have, according to your situation, like if you have young kids, how they can get taken care of, you know, or, or something like that, you know, or, or a sick kid or something like that. You know, the cities, the cities, 
supposed to help you out with that. So what we have up there right now is that for a violent, you know, for a violent injury. Uh, so you don't have to go to individual cities. Everybody will be blanketed throughout Massachusetts and covered for that. You know, no matter where you work, no, no matter where you work. You know, you could be in Woburn, you could be out west. See, out west, I'm like Orange Mass. Those guys don't make as much money as the guys in the no. cities. Yeah. You know what I mean? So 100 percent of 30 grand isn't really a lot, but seven, it's a lot more than 72 percent. And the, the big killer I mean? for a lot of them is that then they get whacked really badly with uh, health insurance. Uh, Bob the exactly. Napoli, we I appreciate you so very much coming on the show and telling us your story. We'll definitely have you back. Thanks again. Thanks, Jay. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.